Hello and welcome into the J-Rod Sports Pod with me, James Robson. And me, Ollie Dix. So today we're going to have a quick chat about some of the big news that's happened in the world of sport over the last couple of days. And there have been a couple of really big bits of news that have caught our eye, as well as catching up on some of the football results over the last couple of days. So let's jump straight into the conversation that we're having about sport this week. Right, so Ollie, let's start with the sort of the biggest news coming out of the States this week, which is Patrick Mahomes, NFL MVP, Super Bowl winning quarterback, and he's been given a 10-year extension. It's yeah. not a 10-year contract, it's a 10-year extension to his rookie deal, isn't it? Yeah, so the I mean this is one of few like NFL stories that like spreads the entire world that everyone is is interested in and because it's just such a large amount so Mahomes is basically signed to the Chiefs now for the next 12 years so his this 10-year extension that everyone's talking about doesn't take place or doesn't start until 2022 I mean this is something that we're you know we we mentioned it last week about Bobby Bonilla day and and things like that like we're quite used to seeing these massively long, huge money contracts in baseball, but in the NFL, this hasn't really been the norm, has it? No, not at all. I mean, there's very few times that a player will be contracted to longer than four years and even rarer, like six years. But over six years is just so rare that, you know, we don't really have much to go on and as if this has been a success in the past of doing this or not. I guess that the... The interesting thing looking at the sort of looking at the details of this deal is in in football I think the reason that we haven't seen those long term contracts is because you don't know if someone's gonna get injured and have a you know, you can get a career ending injury any time you step on the field when you're playing that sport. And contracting someone for twelve years, you're relying on the fact that that doesn't happen to them. Yeah. Well, and the Chiefs have, and that's part of Mahomes' contract. So actually, if if Mahomes does suffer a career-ending injury, the kind of contract is like void, and the Chiefs just have to pay him 140 million. So that's his like buyout clause. Buyout clause of a career-ending injury, and the Chiefs can get out of it, and Mahomes still does get some money, and that like that's his. There's that guaranteed kind of clause involved. Now, whether that's still the case if that happens in like year eleven of this twelve-year period is hard to be determined. But that's kind of what they're looking at at the moment. So uh, let's—I mean, let's have a look. It's the overall value. I think in guaranteed money is four hundred and seventy-seven million. Yeah, exactly. Over te- over the ten-year extension. Yeah. With a possibility of going up to. Uh, 502 or 503 million dollars those are based off incentives that you know they essentially got to be in the AFC championship game and he's got to win an MVP is it not yeah pretty much like as far as incentives go usually in NFL contracts they're a bit more particular than this but with Mahomes it is literally if he's MVP like you said he gets that 477 pretty much guaranteed if he's MVP, he gets another 1.25 million on top of that, and he gets the same amount if he takes the uh, Chiefs to the Super Bowl. So, yeah, so it's like as guaranteed money goes, it's it's almost you know it's pretty bang on. Yeah, it's it's almost all there. But th- I think I guess the the main criticism I've heard of the deal is that could he get more money if he'd have signed a five year deal worth half this? Because if you look at, I mean, I saw a really interesting thing the other day where, you know, you look at where the quarterback market was five years ago or eight years ago, you were getting top end quarterbacks being paid 15 million and now they're being paid 45 million. Are we going to get to the point in five years or six years where they're going to be getting paid $70 million, you know, $60 million? And then is Patrick Mahomes, who's being paid 52 million in his last, the last year of his deal. Is that going to be? Is he going to rue the fact that they, he signed this long-term deal? I mean, it will be renegotiated along the way. If it if it looks like he's going to carry on, they'll renegotiate to try and keep him there for more time. He doesn't. They don't want him to hit the free agent market. Yeah, and like there's a no trade clause in the contract as well. So 
neither side from this contract seems to be like okay like we want to go somewhere else at some point like you know they're both committed to Patrick Mahomes being in Kansas City for the rest of his career pretty much and for me the most interesting thing is is that like for Mahomes like you said there's there's no way of telling what the cap space will be and so like actually how much money like is he worth but also we saw last year with Mahomes I think he rolled his ankle or like and suffered a few like, like I think he might have dislocated his knee a little bit something like that and so we've already seen him like because he's such a mobile quarterback the biggest thing that we've seen with mobile quarterbacks in the NFL is that actually they put themselves in positions where they're not protected in the pocket by offensive linemen they're actually out in the open to get hit so you know we saw with uh, Drew Bledsoe with the Patriots you know he just signed a 10 million dollar con- a 10 year contract and in year 1 he gets absolutely smacked and that's the end of that contract pretty much and Brady comes in you know the rest is history so actually the same with Mahomes you know this is a great contract for him but next year like do you worry about him being hit and that almost suddenly being a bit of a like that's the biggest thing that will scare me as a Chiefs kind of fan or or like in the, the executives kind of bit yeah I think um, they're going to need a veteran backup there because they're going to need someone first of all to keep him fighting to keep his spot because it, I mean if if you got paid forty seven four hundred seventy seven million dollars in guaranteed money, you'd be like, oh, I don't really have to do much anymore. I can <laughs> kind of just take a back seat now. Yeah, and you rely on the fact that he's a competitor and that he's not going to be like that. But you do also want to surround him with the right kind of person who's going to help him, you know, get the best out of him. But also, I'll be aware of the fact that yeah, he is a mobile quarterback. He might take a hit or two, and I I think you're unlikely to get 16 games out of him every season well and you're unlikely for him not to miss a year at some point and so you have to ask like okay like how much is that going to hit you like if that's one of the years where he's got like in 2027 he'll earn 59.9 million and that is an extortionate amount you know and that's like that's close to like 30 percent of your cap space so like if that hits you in that year and actually that's when it happens then actually you're looking at something that's kind of very dangerous for the chiefs kind of paying everyone else you know we've seen that i think it's chris jones a defensive lineman he's like i'm not going to play unless you pay me 20 million a year and now it's a bit like well, the chiefs have no money yeah for the next couple of years at least so actually when do you start paying everyone else and that's the thing they had to sign this long-term deal and when you look at the numbers as you said like it's severely back-ended i mean the last four or five years of his deal what 2027 he's 60 million dollars 28 he's 45 29 he's 45 2030 he's 50 and a half and 2031 he's 52 and a half so the bulk of that money is coming at the end so that means that they're going to have to really make sure they win early with him yeah. because they won't have the cap. I mean, unless the cap goes up dramatically, they won't have the cap space to be. I mean, like I think that's where the expectation is, though, from the Chiefs. So, like, I did did a bit of researching, and in two thousand one, the Packers signed Brett Favre for ten years worth eleven point two five million a year, when the cap space was sixty million. So that's 18.75% of the cap space. Mahomes, over these next 12 years, averages 37.5 million, which is also 18.75%. So I think what they're looking at is, okay, like, obviously that 10-year period, I think his average is 45, not 37. So, like, the next two years make a big difference to that. But actually, like, they're kind of using that as a bit of a model, I think, to kind of be like, "Mm, we're okay, because actually cap space will probably increase. You know, in 20 years, it's increased by 140 million. So you'd expect some kind of increase in 10 years. Do we think this starts to become the norm? No. I think that the only way this... the, The only position this becomes the norm for is quarterbacks. Yeah. Because I don't think any other position you've got the longevity that that those guys do and even even the guys that have played for 20 years you know Brady 
Ben Roethlisberger, even then, they're not signing super long-term deals. I mean, Drew Brees, he's on like a two-year deal, I think it is. Yeah, I don't think many quarterbacks would want this. Like, I don't think Dak right now would want to turn around to the Cowboys and be like, yeah, 10 years. Like, okay, you want five, and that's the guarantee of kind of me being your quarterback for the next however many years. And, like, Deshaun Watson's coming available soon, but would he... As Deshaun Watson, you wouldn't want to tie yourself to the Texans for 10 years, you know, because you've not had any success there. Whereas I think at the moment, Mahomes has had success there already, still on his rookie contract. And I think there's an expectation that they'll continue with that success. Um, but yeah, as if I was there, like you said, I mean, it's the biggest contract in American sports and probably all sports ever. But I don't think I would take this. I think you have to back yourself that in five years' time, you know... <clears throat> A team franchise tags me in five years I would be confident enough that that's going to be worth 41 million at the moment it's worth 32 so I can't wouldn't surprise me if that was more so actually you can probably get Mahomes' money anyway and so I think like it's just very interesting but I don't expect anyone to sign a deal like this either okay and my last question about Mahomes which is is a bit more of an up, up for debate question now you've got two of his main weapons coming up for contracts pretty soon you've got Tyreek Hill and you've got Travis Kelsey who do you sign there because you you can only like with this deal you can only sign one of them I think you have to sign Tyreek Hill for me I think he's he is arguably I know Mahomes is great but he is arguably the biggest game changer in that team you once he gets going he is so fast and nobody can keep up with him and you would argue that if you put him on any team, then any quarterback would look probably relatively good. But actually, Kelsey, okay, like there aren't many tight ends like Kelsey, um, obviously Gronk, and but yeah, no, I don't think a tight end wins you a championship. I think it's nice to have one, but a wide receiver can make a massive amount of difference. Yeah, I think uh, I mean there's that there's that classic footage of um, the 2016. 200 meter yeah. Rio final <laughs> with Bolt and then there's just a line where Tyreek Hill's fastest time from high school is and he's in the middle of the pack yeah. uh, in an Olympic final I mean he is so fast that any any defensive strategy is not good enough to stop him just running straight past people exactly you can't play man to man because he just burns you you can't play zonal because you just give you can't give a guy like that too much space. And actually, even if you double team him, play someone underneath and on top, you then leave the rest of the field quite open for actually an offense that does have at the moment someone like Kelsey that can punish you. Yeah. Um, so and before we move on from the NFL, what we've seen in other sports is players opting out of this coronavirus season. The NFL and the NFLPA are discussing potential opt-out options in players' contracts. What do you, do you think many players take this option? Because it seems to be more popular in other sports, but not really much talk of it in the NFL at the moment. I think the reason the NFL won't... I think the reason fewer players will take this in the NFL is that the career is so much shorter. Yeah. You know, you've got guys who are potentially in the league for one, two years, you know... So they actually need every game check they can get their hands on, and they're probably willing to take the risk of of getting ill. Whereas you look at basketball, you know, they're other than it's not a full contact sport, so you're not going to get those massive collision injuries that you do get. Um, and so sitting out a season, you're you're kind of confident that you might be pretty similar to what you were last season. Um, and you you see guys having much longer careers, whereas in the NFL it's much much more of a rarity. It's a bit more established, isn't it? You don't have many rookies that come up and can play right away and be stars in the NBA. Whereas actually in the NFL, it's more popular for teams to take a younger rookie on a contract than they would like a, a veteran guy that's been around the league because it's just cheaper. And nine times out of ten, they can pretty much produce the same amount of uh, like production. So. Right, now 
let's move on from from one uh, massive contract to another contract which has sort of sent shockwaves through uh, the Formula One world, and that is that Fernando Alonso is returning to Renault back where it uh, back where he won his world championships in yeah. in the mid two thousands. He turns thirty nine later this month. And he signed a contract of at least two years with an option to extend beyond then. Do we think this is a good move for for uh, Renault? I think, you know, so like we spoke to some about this and there are definitely like two trains of thought. It's either, okay, great, you have an established driver that is arguably one of the best Formula One drivers ever and it only does good things for Renault having someone like that there. Or it's actually why have you not taken this why have you taken up the next probably three years two to three years with a driver that will be 42 turning 43 like in that age group when actually there are so many good young drivers and that seems to be the trend of the like f1 at the moment is to just bring young drivers up so why would you not do that yeah i mean i i uh am more in the second camp there like i think there's so much young young and exciting talent out there that Renault could very easily have signed someone for, for less money. And I know money isn't as much of an issue for Renault because they do have that bigger budget. They do, um, you know, they are a manufacturer-backed team. But then at the same at the same time, like, that's money you could be spending on developing your car. That's, like, my, my primary thing is, you know, is this the right investment to make? The other thing that I sort of struggle with a little bit is Alonso likes being the number one guy and he likes you know he didn't work it didn't work with lewis when they were at mclaren together and it he (laughs) but you i don't think he he would ever feel threatened by ocon and i think that's what i think you don't sign ocon like his contract runs until 2022 and alonso's does as well so the one good thing is that potentially they have both drivers end at the same point so if it's not working out then they can start fresh a bit but also you give yourself a little bit of stability for the next two years like we've like a lot the biggest thing that appealed for Alonso was that actually okay the rule changes were meant to come in next year but they come in the year after now actually that only helps Renault like Sam spoke about the amount of money that teams can spend on their cars then actually that brings the pack back together a bit and that's where you start to back drivers who are really good drivers rather than drivers that are in really good cars I just think potentially he's um, quite disruptive like especially with the the way that he was at McLaren when things weren't great there and the way that he was sort of at Ferrari when when he was not not necessarily at the alpha I just think is that someone you want to bring into your team and you want to have that personality around because I think there is a lot of personality there also I can't and I know this is dredging up a lot from the past but I can't get over the um, crash gate stuff with PK Jr when him and Flavio Briatore ordered Nelson PK Jr to crash on purpose so that they could take advantage of a safety car and, and um, yeah, so you know, win him a race the elite like. end of gamesmanship isn't it yeah and I, I just I, I've i never really been an Alonso fan yeah. and I thought that actually the sport was probably a little bit better without him there it, I thought that I think there are more sort of vibrant and exciting and young and captivating um, talents and personalities out there for us to get involved with and I feel like is he kind of clinging on to, to the fact that he won a, a championship what will be 16 you know 15 16 years ago gosh um i think the one thing to note as well is for me the biggest thing that probably isn't being talked about is and i don't want to talk about him too much but actually how what does this do for vettel so we spoke about last week how renault was actually seemed to be the only feasible option for vettel because financially they can afford him well now renault have no spaces taken up so actually for vettel Uh, sorry Renault have all their spaces taken up so actually Vettel now is at a point where he might have to go and do what Alonso's done like in the last two years Alonso's won the 24 hour Le Mans with 
Toyota. He's won the FIA World Ch Endurance Championship and the 24-hour Daytona. So it's not like he's not been racing and he's just been sat on the couch. But actually, it might be something that Vettel also has to go and do and be a bit like, oh, right, maybe I've got to take some time away from Formula 1 and then come back when there's some seats available. Yeah, maybe, I mean, I guess we'll see. I just... Yeah, I was... Um, I think it's just an opportunity missed for Renault to get someone uh, young and, and new in the sport. Um, especially with everything that's going on in the world at the moment, like there was there was an opportunity for them to promote diversity, pick someone different, you know, pick someone who they've had in their driver lineup potentially for a while, or you know, go go into the younger, uh, the lower formulas and find find a, a gem that the Formula One world needs to see. And it seems like they've gone for something which sounds like the safe option but I'm not sure whether it really is with, with his personality yeah. anyway let's move on to um, the NBA now because teams have started to arrive in Orlando and there's there's the classic sort of picture of a, a bubble meal which uh, which has gone viral of uh of everyone sort of commenting how awful it is for these NBA players. Now, I mean when you scratch the surface a little Except bit for more LeBron he's probably got yeah. his private chef. <laughs> when you scratch the surface a little bit more you realise that okay, that was a like afternoon snack that was yeah. sent out uh to welcome them when they arrived at like three in the afternoon and it wasn't their dinner. But there was this sort of fire fest, uh, fire festival uh, comparisons when people were given awful food. But let's go through the teams now. So Brooklyn have uh, have had have had a busy couple of days, haven't they? Yeah. Um. As as a not that I am a Nets fan, but if there are any Nets fans, then I would be a little bit worried. So, like, just a bit of perspective. Back in the start of March, when coronavirus really kind of peaked. Not that it stopped peaking in America, but the uh, the Nets had um, three players contract coronavirus then and withdraw. Obviously, um, Durant and Irving still had injury issues as well, but um, yeah, they struggled then. And then recently, the Nets have lost four players because of testing positive to coronavirus. Um, so actually, they're in a bit of a position now where actually you know almost half their team has had coronavirus and so actually you know what does that kind of look like and I think there's a bit of fear kind of settling in that this is what it might look like yeah and I mean they have been quite active in signing free agents to to replace um replace the the, the players that have withdrawn and and things like that and players that are good you know Jamal Crawford and Michael Beasley are good good solid NBA players who should be in the league but for some reason weren't this last season yeah exactly and they will help a Nets team that's needs that sort of veteran leadership and, and was in need of that last season yeah um, do we think they're going to withdraw though because we have seen an MLS team FC Dallas saw 10 I mean they had 10 players test positive and a coach and have subsequently withdrawn from the the um, yeah I mean the MLS kind of there. like kicked them out almost as well like kind of sh like sho shoved them out a little bit and like I think the thing that I fear with the NBA and the Nets at the moment is actually other teams not really wanting to play the Nets because so that we spoke about how all NBA teams will have three scrimmage games before the proper games start again and the Nets play the Pelicans the Jazz and the Spurs and obviously we know how like you feel about and most of the NBA feels about the Pelicans and the chances that they have at making the playoffs. This you can never write the Spurs off and the Jazz are already in contention in the West. So actually there are three teams who are going into this bubble with a lot to play for and playing a team where half the team had had coronavirus, so you have to wonder, you know, is it still continuing to spread? And and I think it's it's fearful, isn't it? Like, do you, do you think we see a scenario where those teams actually choose not to play their stars against the Nets because they're concerned that 
any of those players might get coronavirus. Like, could you see, like, it it kind of goes back to what we were discussing the other day with the NFL preseason. Like, y- you have the preseason there to get your guys in shape and get them game ready, but also analyze the guys who are lower down the roster. Yeah, I mean, do you play Zion in that in that scrimmage game? Like, for, for me, like, you either play it like full strength and you I mean like NBA rosters aren't really deep enough usually to like play an entire team like for 48 minutes and not have to use like your top your starting lineup but for me like so you either play it full strength or or you don't play it at all and like that's where I think yeah there'll be definitely some discussions going on as to whether the Nets should be involved or not I mean they're the current eight seed and obviously we've only got nine invited in the East, so actually the Wizards are the lowly Wizards actually in for a bit of a treat and getting some kind of NBA playoff experience. Yeah, do you think if the Nets do pull out, the the NBA would look to bring ten, the 10th seed in just to try and get someone involved for that? Uh, I mean, there were talks, I mean, we haven't mentioned this, but there were talks actually of, of the remaining... Uh, eight teams that haven't been invited to this Orlando bubble actually having their own little bubble in Chicago and doing like a own little like playoff series like whatever that that would look like, like. The, you know do you know when you used to be like under 15s or under nines <laughs> or something and it was like the plate champion like you know <laughs> yeah. you got to go for the trophy and then there was the plate which was just participation like the, yeah the bottom teams who got just so that you got to play in the plate final yeah I mean I it, I don't think many teams were keen on that, if I'm being honest with you. And many players didn't really want to go into a bubble in Chicago just to play crap basketball. Yeah, if we're being honest, like <laughs> yeah. that would, you know, obviously the NBA is very elite and there's no way that we could play in it, but like it's still poor basketball. Um, and so actually, I don't know whether they would bring it up because now you've got to introduce a whole new quarantine period for all of these teams you don't know you haven't really probably been tracking them as well as you have the teams that were expected to invite so actually there's still a lot to play for in the east when it comes to seeding so they might just play those games and hope that that's enough for teams to stay competitive but yeah either i wouldn't be worried about the nets had the mls not like already in orlando in their own little bubble had already not like kicked out fc dallas and kind of made a point about that so it's definitely intriguing to look to. Yeah. But now sort of following on from the MLS into the Premier League. Um, and we, we've split this diff- uh, a bit differently instead of going through game by game because that sort of uh, took about four hours. Yeah, we did. We did talk ourselves into quite a long episode on on Tuesday. We learned from our mistakes there. Yeah, uh, let's sort of look at let's let's group them into okay. So the Champions League group, the group yeah. the uh, teams that we think are, are in contention for the Champions League. Um, on Monday, Man City will find out if their two year ban will be upheld. Yeah. So. Not something that we'd mentioned before, and no. I think it's kind of slipped past me. And then, um, uh, yeah, like I think it's important. I was watching the Chelsea Crystal Palace game, and they, it was important for them. Like teams need to know these kinds of things because actually, it's a massive difference. As if if Man City are going to be in the Champions League, then it's only top four because they're second at the moment. If they aren't in the Champions League, then actually it'll be top five and Man City kind of get void a little bit. So it pushes everyone down a little bit. And I think this is a punishment for their, um, like, unethical, not unethical, but their spending. I think they the fair play rules. They the financial fair play rules. Yeah, exactly. They spent too much and, and all like that. And I think that, yeah, that's... So Monday is a massive date for Leicester, Chelsea, Man United that kind of group of three that are the remaining Champions League places yeah and talking of Chelsea they they, uh, I'd say they salvaged a win yeah. there against against Crystal Palace a, a game they should have easily put away yeah I mean we we saw how Liverpool put Palace away for four and then you know Chelsea there was 
you know, they scored that third goal where from uh, a lovely pass from Loftus Cheek to uh, Tammy Abraham, and you know they were two subs that Lampard had just brought on, and then Palace scored very quickly after, and it was like, oh, okay, game on, and very late on. Palace were looking not to score an equaliser. I think they hit the post, and like that's just, and the rebounds went literally everywhere except where the Palace players were standing. So you know that's that's tough to see, but a win, a needed win for Chelsea. Yeah, and that that combined with the fact that Leicester and Arsenal drew means that Chelsea are now in third. Yeah, you know when Leicester dropped, not they didn't drop points, but well they didn't get all three yeah um it, it it means that suddenly are chelsea in the driving seat a little bit well i think it's like like we've kind of said uh, like all of those teams at the moment like control their own destiny a little bit and actually i think all teams they're not seeing it as like oh we're hopeful that other teams drop points you just have to win out now and you just have to win as many games as you can and hope that come the end of the season like you're in a great position um, and obviously I don't think we've been like huge fans of Chelsea huge fans of Frank Lampard I think but not huge fans of Chelsea but at the moment after 34 games they're only 9 points behind Man City and so I like it's quite interesting to see like oh, is that a bad year for Man City or is that a good year for Chelsea to be like that kind of close uh, which they haven't been in, in, a, in the past few seasons yeah I think Again, I think it, it's all framed in in how we look at uh, Liverpool. Yeah, you know, like if we were to say Chelsea are nine points behind Man City, but Man City had won the league, we'd go, eh, pretty good year for Chelsea. Yeah. Uh, but now that City haven't won the league, and they're so far behind Liverpool, and Chelsea are only nine points behind them, yeah, we think, oh, maybe okay, is this? I mean, I'm not going to say I'm not going to points behind Liverpool. Yeah. So it's I mean, I'm not going to say it's the beginning of the end at Man City because we're not that. You know, we're we not going to go down that doomsday. Sort of, don't yeah, like, they don't happen like that here. But you know, is is this a sign that actually maybe the news that's coming out on Monday, all the stuff that's going on behind the scenes with that kind of thing, and is that could that be playing playing on the minds of not only the City players but Pep as well well I mean it might be hard to attract players in the next 18 months probably to actually come to Man City to play Champions League football because obviously if they're not in it then players all top players want to play Champions League football so if they're not there the only thing though I would fear is that this makes Man City even stronger in the league it wouldn't surprise me that actually you know not having to travel midweek and they get to play their best team every weekend. Like, that's that's going to be a strong Manchester City team. And on a bit more of a personal note, do am I? Do you think I'm now looking in my rearview mirror at a corner that Arsenal have turned under Arteta? Personally, I do. I I'm not sure that it was a red card. Um, I thought he was quite unlucky to get a red. Um, and on the opposite side of it, I, I feel think like Vardy, Vardy was quite lucky not to be. Yeah, I mean the stud marks that uh, Mustafi had in the side of his head, I think, are quite <laughs> prominent. So it's yeah. a, it's surprised that VAR picked up on, uh, yeah, the other challenge and not Vardy's. But um, yeah, I'd like Abamyang looked revitalised. He looked like someone who wanted to be there, and and I think that's good. Like. He's not played Ganduzi since the Brighton game, and I think he's actually playing players that want to be there, and there's that energy around it, and it looks like a good Arsenal team. I think the only thing for me is, yeah, like they've been consistently kind of getting results since the break, but come the start of next season, actually, does this Arsenal cycle just start all over again, and you're like back to the old, you know? Yeah, I mean, Aubameyang, Aubameyang is the first player since Thierry Henry to score 20 games in back-to-back seasons for Arsenal. Yeah. So it's good that we're we're starting to see that you know he is someone that we can hang you know hang our hat on and that's all with playing on the left as well. Yeah. Like when they play Lacazette through the middle like you probably don't expect that much from Aubameyang like when it comes to goals a little bit but actually to have him produce like that is very good. The huge thing will 
making sure that he re-signs. Yeah. But, the, I mean, uh, the reason that I'm positive is that six months ago, that's a game we lose 3-0. Yeah, probably. You know, against, against a team that... Well, I mean, at Leicester, you got pummeled, so... Yeah, but, like, against against a team who are slightly above us in the league, we should be competitive with. We used to be in a place where we just not turn up, and now at least we're turning up and making the games competitive. And so I'm hoping that that trend continues. Um, United play Villa tonight. A win would... Uh, this is Obviously, we're recording this the day before we release yeah, it. this is Thursday. Uh, a win would take them just a point behind Leicester. But with Wolves losing to Sheffield, they'd move six points clear of them. So, do you think a win tonight seals them with a top five, potentially Champions League yeah, football? Yeah, I think so. I think they, you know, with, with four games left, five points is... And a Man United team playing as well as they are at the moment, I think, kind of puts that Europa League battle a bit behind them. And the only hope for Manchester United is that actually this Man City ban gets upheld. But also a point behind Leicester with four games left. I think that means they're only two points behind Chelsea as well. Uh, that is anyone's game. I think those those third, fourth, and fifth places are in no way like setting concrete. And yeah, who who do you think gets in? If assuming United have won Thursday evening, who do you think gets in? And are we assuming that City? No, just give me third. Well, give me third, fourth, fifth. Third, fourth, fifth. I think Chelsea, Leicester, then United. So you think it stays as it is? Yeah. Gosh, yeah, fair. Because I, d- I think everyone say like. I don't think that's necessarily a bad result for Leicester. Like, actually, if you were to if you were to say, your there, there are games on that Man City ruling, doesn't it? Really? Yeah, but there are games that we painted on as like there are games that we always look at and go, that's a win, okay. And especially for these top couple of teams, there are games that we go, they're either wins or they're going to be close. And to come away from the games that are going to be close with a draw. Is better than a loss, like so much better than a loss. Yeah. And to keep it ticking over, and I think that's a level of maturity from Leicester that only comes from having been in that situation for the last couple of years. Yeah. And I think that's that's finally them showing that actually they can play probably not up to their standard, but still get a result that doesn't move them too far backwards. I think, like for me with Leicester, is that actually like what they don't need again is like another big season they need to consistently improve like the year before they won the league so 14-15 I think they were like 14th they win the league the year after they won the league they finished 12th and so actually and then I think like they just suddenly improve like the year after that they finished 9th and so actually you want them to trend like trend in that top 6 area for like 2 or 3 years play some Europa League establish yourself as a club that players want to come to and then you can start thinking about bigger things where it seems like they can either they're a mid-table team or they're top of the league you know there's no in between at the moment and I think that's like hard to balance it almost seems like they're trending in the right direction and they accidentally won the league one year yeah like completely out of the blue and like actually if you take out that and put put in like a 13th place that year 14th 13th you know, just slowly ninth, yeah. edging yourself up, up the lead. That's the way to do it, and that's the way to build that good foundation. So, uh, the other thing, and obviously we 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 called it the Champions League group, but then just below that, you've got the Europa League group. That's five just, five yeah. teams in you know five teams separated by five points. Yeah, I mean, just as absolute that, carnage, just as close. I mean, and the thing as well. So uh, Tottenham play uh, Bournemouth. Thursday evening as well and if they get a result there that potentially takes them above Arsenal and means that there's you know assuming that that happens there's Wolves on 52 Sheffield United on 51 Tottenham on 51 Arsenal on 50 Burnley on 49 I mean as an Arsenal fan like we just spoke about you turning a corner but that isn't the most they're not the teams that you want to be surrounded by is it and that's that's kind of scary at times but that is just such an exciting team especially if the Man City ruling goes in favour of Man City you assume that Chelsea Leicester Man United take up one of those Europa leagues so there's actually only two spots 
and I think that's how those teams have to play at the moment that there are only two spots for Europa League and yeah five doesn't go into two unfortunately yeah and I think I think you just gotta if you're in that group it you kind of gotta put the whole Europa League thing to the side and just go to win as many games win as, you as can. many games get as many points as you can because um there's no point in wasting time, wasting energy, thinking, oh my goodness, are we going to get into the Europa League? Are we going to be playing European football next year? Yeah, no, you know? I agree. I agree. And and I think it, it it we keep saying it's making the end of this season absolutely fascinating. Yeah, you know, yes. there's so much to play for all the way through. And speaking of all the way through, the relegation battle is still as hot as anything, even yeah. though it's slightly less elite football yeah it's still you know my boys at West Ham finally lose a game finally lose a game uh, 1-0 to Burnley which again when you say that Burnley are 10th yeah not a bad or something game. you know yeah okay fair enough you lose 1-0 to someone who's fighting for Europa League yeah uh, Brighton lose to uh, Liverpool and Norwich just can't seem to yeah, make I mean, anything stick. Are, are we, not that this is any surprise, but we'd kind of called it for Norwich anyway. But, you know, if they're ever going to win a game, then it was going to be a game against someone who's nearby, like Watford. And actually, that's Danny Welbeck with his overhead kick, saving them and winning those three points. That's absolutely huge for Watford. That Yeah. Yeah. To, and, like, obviously, this is all depend- Villa and Bournemouth who are both on 27 and four points behind West Ham and Watford on 31, both play Thursday evening. So, you know, that could be that could change a little bit. But actually for Watford, that is that is huge to kind of create a little bit of a gap where there's teams that don't win loads of points. So four points actually down there is quite a bit. So I think that's yeah. actually quite important for them. Yeah. And, it, you know... It, with the games that we got to look forward to this weekend, what we got Watford against Newcastle, Norwich, West Ham, you got okay, Liverpool, Burnley and Chelsea Chelsea, Sheffield United. But yeah. those that Watford, Newcastle and Norwich, West Ham games, if Watford can get anything out of that Newcastle game. Yeah, and I, I would back them to. I mean Newcastle pummeled is probably fair, got pummeled five nil against Manchester City. So actually midweek, so they're not exactly a team that's brimming with confidence. Yeah, flying, even though they're going to get De Bruyne next year. <laughs> um, Heard so, it here first. So so yeah, and and look, there are some exciting games. So actually, looking through Watford Newcastle, what do you what do you think? Who wins and what's the score? I think that might be one all. One all, yeah. Fair. No. I just I just think like actually after after a pummeling that bad, you. There has to be some level of Do you think they're suffering from nothing to play for? Potentially, potentially, but then, but then also, they're aware of the fact that there might be a new uh, situation starting next year with the ownership and and everything like that. And I, you know, if I was in that, if I was in that organization, I'd be telling every man and his dog that you're playing for your job here because they're going to come in and make changes and and can you convince them that you're necessary yeah Uh, a big game for your West Ham away to Norwich I think assume a win yeah I I think assume a win and that would mean mathematically I think that would put Norwich out down yeah which is obviously a big game for them I mean not that we see them escaping but it's never nice to see a team actually get relegated no um, and then back up to our top area big games like with I mean the Burnley Liverpool game is important for Burnley and then Liverpool four games left need nine points to get 102 points and break the Premier League record actually two teams that now both have something to play for I think a little bit yeah, and I think this is this is uh, the the term that the N- they were using the NFL as a trap game. Yeah, you know, and I think this is a absolute trademark trap game here for Liverpool. Uh, they need to make sure they keep the pedal, the foot firmly on the pedal here, because any flicker, Burnley are a team that are where they are in the league for a reason, yeah. and they can take those big moments and cause an upset when Get they results. need to. Um, so what you're saying Burnley win 
No, no. <laughs> I think, but I think it'll be like I think it'll be like two one or three two. Like I think it'll they'll give Liverpool a scare. Yeah. Okay. Good. And then uh, our penultimate game to look forward to before the next podcast: uh, Chelsea Sheffield United. A big game in that Champions League, Europa League. But what are we saying? Uh, yeah, and again, like this is. Ask me after the City game. I'm like, well, Chelsea are going to walk this because yeah. they just beat City. And then you you see them against Palace, and you go, mm, actually. Yeah, that was a little bit lackluster, and especially with Sheffield United beating Wolves, you're a bit more confident in them after their slow start to the restart. Yeah, so you? it's like what what Chelsea's going to turn up, and I back a, a better Sheffield United side than we've seen in the last couple of games. I wouldn't be surprised by a draw there. No, which isn't good for either team. No, not helpful. Yeah, but um, and then our last game to look forward to, uh, Super Sunday, uh, Spurs play Arsenal, the North London derby. I'm going to go out of limb here. I'm going to go rogue. Spurs win. No, I'm going to say I think we're going to win about 11, 11. or 12-0. No. <laughs> I think we're just going to absolutely do- like start to finish. I think Aubameyang's going to get seven. Seven. Who scores the other four? Huh? Arteta. He's going to sub himself <laughs> on. Player manager. <laughs> but but in all seriousness, like a big game for like yeah, Europa yeah. League group. Like especially like assuming that Tottenham win Thursday evening, then actually like. That, yeah, that, that games like we keep saying, games mean more and more each each week now, and and a game like that is always exciting, but now even means even more. I think, especially with the how the Tottenham team has been playing of late. I think it. I I I don't know whether it's just because I'm an Arsenal fan, but I genuinely think Arsenal will win this because I think they've had that slow start and they've found their footing, and they you know confidence has to be building and it's not like they've they did have a bit of a dip after the quarantine but it was a situation where what looking at it now it looks like it just was the rust that needed kicking off yeah that's fair talk about sports that have been able to continue after coronavirus and golf is one of those sports that has also been able to continue but we're now starting to see golf influenced by coronavirus yeah so the the Ryder Cup has been postponed by a year and this has implications not just on the Ryder Cup this year you know it it's they've they've done uh, they've made the decision to shift back to running the Ryder Cup on the odd years yeah. So it will be 2021, 23, 25, and so on. And I mean, the list that I saw was running all the way until you know mid 2030s, where that they confirmed that everything would shift back. Yeah. The other thing that it affects is the Presidents Cup, which is the USA against the rest of the world. That will that will now fall on even years, so that will be pushed back to 2022. The Solheim Cup, which is the the female equivalent of the Ryder Cup is staying the same time. That stays on those odd-numbered years On as those well. odd-numbered years. So actually next year, we're going to get the, the Sol- month of September. Yeah, <laughs> the Solheim Cup, which is the first weekend in September. Then we've got a sort of week's break. Then it's the lead-in to the Ryder Cup, which is going to be epic. Yeah. Both of them happening in the States. Both of them, uh, there will be, it'll be an awesome time for golf. And I think the unique thing that this is allowing is for golf to start marketing them as one event not one event so but sort you of you know, it, like, joining them together it, it helps push the Solheim Cup into like I'm not saying it's not relevant but to get more fans to go to that do you think that helps or actually does it suffer from you know people might not want to pay tickets to go to two tournaments just in September so actually do they start to suffer because of that I think what I think it, it will be a great way for people at home, I think that the, the way that it'll start is that TV deals will start going for the Solheim Cup. Yeah. Because it'll be a great way for people to warm themselves up, essentially, for the Ryder Cup. And I wouldn't be surprised if in the next couple of years we start seeing venues that have two championship golf courses running one for the Solheim Cup one weekend and then the Ryder Cup the next weekend or the other way around and just having two weeks of Europe versus the USA. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, so looking back into like the details of the the postponement, 
it is going to be confusing as to how they're going to do all of the qualification. They are they have postponed all the qualification uh, criteria at the moment, and they're looking to shift it to next year. But obviously, for people who aren't necessarily winning majors and winning tournaments and things like that, those top ten, those top five placings do play a massive part in in getting picked for the Ryder Cup. And the European Tour hasn't come back yet, but the PGA Tour has come back. And so there was a discrepancy in how many points were available and, and things like that. So there was a lot that was going to have to be worked through. But yeah. looking at the press release, the thing that the Ryder Cup was most concerned about was the lack of fans. And it is that very bizarre situation where in a, in a lot of, you know, in golf tournaments, it's very individualized and people are there to support their favorite golfer. Yeah. Whereas the Ryder Cup is a situation where you're there to support your team. And they love the fact that it's a melting pot and there's so much energy and atmosphere going on at those courses. Well, it's, that's where a lot of players have almost defined their career. Like, you, one of the favourites is like Ian Poulter. If Ian Poulter doesn't have the success that he has in the Ryder Cup, probably has a bit of an average career and isn't a household name as such. Whereas actually having the Ryder Cup, having that crowd to perform to like that's in very few scenarios in golf where actually a a golfer has a crowd like he is a performer not just you know like a solo artist just oh yeah and watching like watching him g up the crowd on the first tee on uh in medina in 2012 and they were going nuts as he was hitting his tee shot I mean, goosebump. Like, yeah, hey, it, you don't get that in golf, do you? It, it's an environment that is so different to everyone. Yeah. And I, I think golf as a sport is aware of the fact that obviously people are going to watch the majors. People are going to watch all of those. But there's a real opportunity to make it a team sport and make it something that you're starting to get proper fandom about. Well, it's like the fifth and sixth majors, isn't it, for for golfers it's just exciting looking forward to all of these sporting like sports are being disrupted but we're making the most of them and actually what we have to come is still quite exciting and hopefully it doesn't disrupt it going too far in 2021 Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the J-Rod Sports Pod, where we looked over the biggest news in sports over the last couple of days. On Tuesday, we're going to be looking back at the big Premier League games that we mentioned that are taking place over the weekend and any other sports news. But until then, please make sure that you subscribe, follow us on social media, and let us know if there's anything you want to hear.